0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Please feel free to review, subscribe, follow, and share the Outsider Art Podcast. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Outsider Art Podcast, Episode 4, Adolf Wolfley, Part 3. Quote The victor, at one with the sacrifice, hair in full grandeur, never has the front of the coin contrasted so strongly with the reverse. On the one side, ithephalic, pursuing some poor little girl, on the other side, cheerful, though always locked in, sleeves rolled up, plug of tobacco in his cheek, in front of a pile of his most vivid creations, which, as an ensemble, represent one of the three or four most important oeuvres of the 20th century. And what is not, shall be. Amen, Amen, Amen. And thus it shall be. End quote. For the 11th International Exhibition of Surrealism in 1965, André Breton compiled a list of seven artists who had inspired it. He then composed a little play as a preface to the show's catalogue. In the play, he introduced each of these seven figures, which along with Adolf Wolfley included Octavio Paz, Charles Fourier and Pablo Picasso. He finished each piece with a short quote from each artist. Wolfley's, and what is not shall be, is drawn from book 11 of the Geographic and Algebraic books. During his lifetime, Adolf Wolfley had achieved some degree of notoriety, thanks in large part to Walter Morgenthaler's 1921 monograph, Madness and Art, the Life and Works of Adolf Wolfley. Atypically of psychiatric studies, including Hans Prinzhorn's 1922 work Artistry of the Mentally Ill, Morgenthaler chose to name Wolfley, as opposed to using a number or a pseudonym. Following the publishing of Madness in Art and Artistry of the Mentally Ill, interest in the art of the insane grew within artistic and intellectual circles. Poet Rainer Maria Rilke, in a letter to Lou Andreas Salome said, The Wolfley case will help us someday to gain new insights about the origins of creativity, and it also makes contributions to the strange, apparently growing realisation how many of the symptoms of the illness, as Morgenthaler suspects, ought to be supported, because they bring to the open the rhythm through which nature is striving to reclaim that which has been alienated from it and to bring it into a new melodious congruence." End quote. The first collections of Wolfley's works were assembled during his lifetime, including Morgenthaler's own collection, much of which is now held by the Adolf Wolfley Foundation. Fritz Baumann, who founded the avant-garde group Leben, which had strong ties with the Dadaists in Zurich, visited Wolfley in 1922 and brought several drawings and a sketchbook. Psychoanalyst Carl Jung owned three of Wolfley's early works, and although they were not mentioned in his writings, they exhibit the symbolic and archetypal shapes that would have resonated with Jung. Wolfley's works, including his stunning cabinets, also featured prominently in the Waldau Museum, which was set up in 1914 on Morgenthaler's initiative, and which, while only open by appointment, was visited by psychiatrists and several artists. The museum was opened to the public in 1993. Demand for Wolfley's single sheet drawings was such that in 1919, Morgan Tyler issued four rules in regards to the handling of Wolfley's work. Daniel Bauman quotes these rules in his chapter on the reception of Wolfley's work in the book, Adolf Wolfley, draftsman, writer, poet, composer. Quote 1. All drawings by Wolfley are to be handed over to the Waldau collection unless other arrangements are made. 2. If someone wants to have a drawing made, he must give Wolfley two sheets of paper and enough pencils and coloured pencils. The two drawings are to be shown to the doctor in charge of the collection, who will choose one drawing for the collection and present the other to the person who commissioned it. Three. Received drawings cannot be passed on to third parties without permission of the Waldau administration. Apart from supplying the drawing material, persons outside the asylum must pay a sum fixed by the administration as compensation for Wolfley. Four, the staff is responsible for ensuring that no drawing is given away before it is shown to the physician in charge of the collection, exclamation mark, End quote. Wolfley's works were exhibited to the public twice in his lifetime. Following the publication of a mentally ill person as an artist, over 60 of his drawings were displayed in the shop window of a bookstore in Bern. Then, as part of an exhibition of children's drawings at the Museum of Applied Art in Winterthur, his works were presented as a special exhibition, drawings by a mentally ill person. After Wolfley's death in 1930, he and his work were mostly forgotten, as the world watched the rise of the Nazi party and their persecution and murder of the mentally ill, something that was hauntingly preempted in Bern around the time of the publishing of Morgenthaler's monograph. In 1923, the chief medical examiner of the city proposed to the Bernese parliament that a legal basis be established for, quote, killing those who suffer from incurable mental illness and idiocy, end quote. In 1945, Jean Dubuffet, the soon to be founder of Art Brut visited Switzerland. At Waldau, the Mussingen Mental Asylum and the psychiatric hospital of Ceres, he saw works by Wolfley, Heinrich Anton Muller and Alois Corbeth. He returned to Paris with several of their drawings and began systematically collecting works by the mentally ill and societal outcasts under his newly coined term, Art Brut. The collection was tightly managed within a strict criteria and Dubuffet's aesthetic boundaries. Dubuffet published the first book of a series on Art Brut around this time and proposed a second book, being a translation of Morgenthaler's monograph. However, this did not happen until 1964 and was titled simply Adolf Wolfley. In 1947 and 1948, Dubuffet held several exhibitions of Art Brut at the gallery of renowned Parisian gallery owner, René Druin. These exhibitions featured Wolfley's work. By late 1948, Dubuffet had established the Compagnie de l'Art Brut, which included amongst its members, writer André Breton, critic Michael Tapie, and art dealer Charles Raton. In October 1948, a one-man show of Wolfley's work featuring 120 drawings from Morgenthaler's collection, was held, and according to Dubuffet, the Parisian public responded enthusiastically. In 1951, Dubuffet disbanded the Compagnie de l'Art Brut, its membership having read like a who's who of influential writers, artists, and thinkers of the time, including Albert Camus, Paul Eluard, Jean Cocteau, and Claude Levi-Strauss. For several years, the collection was stored in the United States and only exhibited once in 1962. Once the collection was back in France and with the Compagnie re-established, Dubuffet published the aforementioned translation of Morgenthaler's monograph and in the early 1970s, he acquired the collection of former Waldo psychiatrist Oscar Fordell, which included a four-part screen by Wolfley. In the mid-1970s, Dubuffet donated the entire Art Brut collection to the city of Lausanne in Switzerland, and the Collection de l'Art Brut was opened in 1976. Daniel Bauman writes of Dubuffet's Art Brut, quote, Until the very end of his life, he viewed Art Brut as the preserve of untutored, ahistorical art, which had to be protected from contact with the art world, Ironically enough, one of the pillars of Dubuffet's art brute theory, Wolfley himself, had sought recognition and acceptance by the art world. He produced a large number of drawings on commission for collectors, wanted to see his writings published, and was convinced that his drawings, quote, somewhere, would do credit to an art exhibition, quote. André Breton, who I mentioned earlier in this episode, championed Wolfley both as a part of the Compagnie de l'Art Brut and as an influential figure within the Surrealist movement, publishing a piece by Waldau psychiatrist Theodore Spoeri in his magazine La Surrealisme Meme and featuring his work in the aforementioned International Exhibition of Surrealism. Following the end of the Second World War, there was also an emergence of a new generation of psychiatrists in the field of psychopathology and art, In 1950, at the first International Conference of Psychiatry, Wolfley's work was shown at the International Exhibition of Psychopathological Art, which accompanied the conference. In 1956, Robert Vollmey's L'Art Psychopathologique was published. It was the first substantial work since Hans Prinzhorn's Artistry of the Mentally Ill emerged in 1922. Further exhibitions followed and in 1959, the Society of Art and Psychopathology was founded. In 1963, the journal Borderland of Psychiatry, started by Theodor Spurri and Hans Heyman in 1958, was adopted as the official review of the Society of Art and Psychopathology. Spurri and Heyman, both psychiatrists at Waldau, had given a joint lecture course in 1955 called Mental Illness, Religion and Art at the University of Bern, which was attended by the future curator of the Adolf Wolfley Foundation, al and art historian and curator, Harold Zeman. Daniel Baumann comments, quote, This first encounter became eminently important to Zeeman's later activity as an exhibition curator. He then goes on to quote Zeeman, Brendel, Wolfley, Muller, Suter, the prisoner of Brazil, all of them gave me a great deal since Theodore Spuri's lectures on Wolfley. End quote. Theodore Spoily's book on Wolfley's pictorial world appeared in 1964 as Volume 5 of the series Psychopathology and Pictorial Expression. Daniel Bauman explains the shift in focus on the art of the mentally ill in the 1960s quote, In the 50s, Interest in Art Brut was largely restricted to psychiatrists and Andre Breton's coterie. In the 60s, curators, art historians, and artists began discussing Art Brut in exhibitions, catalogues, and books. The work of the mentally ill was increasingly accepted as art. End quote. In 1963, Zeman mounted an exhibition in Bern which featured the work of 17 quote, schizophrenic artists including Wolfley. The exhibition was seen by over 4,000 visitors, including many artists. In 1964, Wolfley's work, Giant City, Honeycomb Hall, was part of a collection of works given to the Museum of Fine Arts, Basel, which was the first time Wolfley's art became part of a museum collection. Dubuffet held an exhibition of Art Brut in Paris in 1967, which featured his entire collection of Wolfley's works. And in 1968, Wolfley was included in the official Encyclopedia of Swiss Artists. In 1971, works by Wolfley, Alois, and Muller were included in the traveling exhibition Swiss Drawings of the 20th Century. And the Museum of Fine Arts Basel devoted an exhibition to the Wolfley collection of Ernst and Elizabeth Momentaler Fischer Wolfley's first one-man show at a public art institution. In 1972, an exhibition was held that really pushed Wolfley into the art world limelight. Daniel Bauman explains, quote, It was at Documenta 5 in Kassel in 1972, however, that Wolfley's work gained international recognition and was granted a secure place among contemporary art. Harold Seaman put Wolfley's art in the section Individual Mythologies. He reconstructed the cell in which Wolfley worked and lived, and in it he displayed the complete stack of Wolfley's writings. A second room presented a reconstruction of the Waldau Museum, complete with cupboards and vitrines decorated by Wolfley. Theodore Spuyli's essay, Identity of Representation and the Represented in the Art of the Mentally Ill, in the exhibition catalogue included a discussion of Wolfley's art, for the first time taking into account as well the content of his writings. Quote. In 1972, Roger Cardinal's Outsider Art was also published, giving a new, broader terminology to the art of those marginalised by the art world mainstream. In 1973, as part of the Museum of Bern exhibition Paul Clay Drawings Childhood Until 1920, a group of Wolfley's drawings was included. This foreshadowed the 1987 exhibition, The Simultaneity and the Other, where the works of Wolfley and Clay were exhibited in the same room. Between 1976 and 1980, Jürgen Gleismer, the director of the Paul Clay Foundation and curator of the two aforementioned exhibitions organized, along with Alka Spuiri, the first major retrospective and traveling exhibition of Wolfley's work. This followed the 1975 formation of the Adolf Wolfley Foundation, with Alka Spuiri being appointed curator. The collection was held at the Museum of Fine Arts in Bern. It includes both the Waldau and Dr. Walter Morgenthaler's collections. The influence of Wolfley and other artists within the art root genre began in the 1960s and 70s to gain prominence as a source of inspiration for contemporary artists, including Johannes Gachnan, Anna Frania, Marcus Ratz, Daniel Spoury, Merit Oppenheim, Jean Tengelay, Annette Messenger, and Jonathan Borowski. In the book, Parallel Visions, Modern Artists and Outsider Art, which was published in conjunction with the exhibition of the same name at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, Carol S. Allale and Barbara Freeman, in the chapter Contemporary Artists and Outsider Art, write that for Jonathan Borofsky, quote, outsider art has served as an affirmation rather than a shaping influence. Borofsky explains that he perceives most of the 20th century art as falling into one of two schools what he calls the Mondrian school of constructivism, which led to minimalism later in the century, and the surrealist school of imagery, which led to pop art. The former is highly rationalized and cerebral, the latter more emotive and humanistic. Borowski aspires to combining both aspects in his work in the way that Adolf Wolfley, an outsider he has admired since the 1970s did, Porowski sees Wolfley's intricate drawings, which completely cover the page, accompanied by words and at times musical notation as well, as confirmation of his own tendencies, as evident in counting from one to infinity. The work, which began in 1969 as, and they quote Borofsky here, the clearest, cleanest, most direct exercise that I could do that still had a mind-to-hand-to-pencil-to-paper event occurring, Subsequently became richer and fuller. In 1971, after counting for a couple of years and doing nothing else, I had the occasional need to scribble on the same sheet of paper as the counting. It was like taking a break. The counting had become a break from the thought process, and the scribbling now became a break from the counting. Here again, we see the combination of the physical and the cerebral that is so fascinating to Borofsky. And that he sees exemplified in Wolfley's drawings. End quote. They also describe Jean Tengele and Bernard Luganbohl's incineration happenings between 1976 and 83. Quote, Jean Tengele, in collaboration with Bernard Luganbohl, paid homage to Wolfley by burning Luganbohl's wooden sculpture Zorn, named after the term Wolfley used to denote a particular mystical number whose precise definition was understandable only to him. For this memorial celebration, Denguele attached explosives to the wooden sculpture, which then spewed sparks, flame and smoke, meant to represent Wolfley's own volatile creativity. End quote. Wolfley's work has also influenced composers and musicians and while his actual musical compositions have rarely been performed, the content of his narrative works, especially the first two, have served as inspiration for several works by composers such as Per Nogard, Wolfgang Rimm, Ingemar Grunau, Graham Revel, and Regina Ehrman. Artist Terry Riley has performed a work in progress based on Wolfley's universe, having seen his drawings in a 1987 exhibition. Wolfley's narrative works have also been transcribed, studied and featured in readings. Thanks in large part to the Adolf Wolfley Foundation, for the last 40 years, Wolfley's art has been shown in numerous group and one-man shows. Daniel Bowman lists many of these in the book Adolf Wolfley, Draftsman, Writer, Poet, Composer. And of course, Wolfley's work has been at the forefront of interest in outsider art from the global art market with his works fetching the sort of prices that Wolfley himself would have undoubtedly felt that they deserved. I'll finish this episode on Adolf Wolfley with two quotes from Charles Russell's Groundwaters, A Century of Art by Self-Taught and Outsider Artists, where he reflects on Walter Morgenthaler's assessment of Wolfley. Quote, Without fully developing a theory of the psychology of art, Morgenthaler asserted that Wolfley's struggles shared with all artists a heightened effort to create a visual and conceptual order reflective of a desire for psychic coherence and experience. While he held that this desire was fundamental to all humans, Morgenthaler posited that the basic processes of creating imaginative order were felt to greatest effect by the artist. And he quotes Morgenthaler. The task of the artist is twofold to crystallise the form given him by nature as purely as possible. This is his true artistic task. But to permeate and fill this form with life is the more general and human task of the artist. End quote. Russell continues. Morgenthaler realised Wolfley's work may have been wondrous and of the highest artistic order, but ultimately the vision within was mad and could only be approached and observed from outside. Like the mystic, Wolfley the artist descended to beneath the surface delusion of the senses and the intellect into the great irrational substratum, but was not able to return whole with a coherent message for the world. Wolfley was ill, broken by his condition, and he could not integrate his psychic experience with those of others. His oeuvre was not a cure, but an essentially autistic terrain of struggle, whose associative meanings were intelligible to him alone. We are drawn to the works because of the play of apparent passion and order, but ultimately cannot share in them. Nonetheless, his work provides us with a direct sensation of the desire for the mystical encounter that underlies human experience and art especially, and it offers a particularly vivid insight into the essential struggle of chaos and order that lies within each of us. End quote. The work of Adolf Wolfley must certainly stand as a giant creation within the art world. The depth and breadth of his oeuvre alone places it amongst the most significant artistic achievements in history. I would encourage all of you who are lucky enough to have the opportunity to view Wolfley's work in the flesh to spend some time with it. Sadly, I have only been able to see his work in books, articles and online but knowing how different this experience is from seeing work up close and in person, I certainly hope to remedy this situation in the future. I have only skimmed the surface of Adolf Wolfley in these three episodes, so I would encourage you to visit shows.acast.com outsider-art-podcast for a reading list where you can do some further exploration. Coming up on the Outsider Art Podcast we'll be looking at the tragic life and masterful work of an artist who deserves to stand alongside the Mexican greats. So please join me next time to explore the art of Martin Ramirez. Please also feel free to review, subscribe, follow and share the Outsider Art podcast. It would really help the podcast grow. Thank you for listening.